Hey, Grow Solvers, how's it going? Welcome back to the Good Grow Great podcast. Great lengths. This is the part and of the podcast where I talk to different people from around the world with different endeavors and different work and career and business where we unpack what they've done to go from point A to point Z. And today I have someone very special for you and her name is Aaliyah Littleton. Now, before she founded Wild and Wonderful Life Counseling, Aaliyah actually received a master's in adventure therapy and spent a great deal of time in neurobiology as a science teacher and public speaker. And then she went on from NASA to being featured, yes, this is NASA, the space organization, NASA, to being featured on Amazon's The Three Day Effect and in Outside Magazine. So she's clearly not only very intelligent, but also very purposeful about what she does. Now, she helps people go through challenging life circumstances through outdoor adventure, mountaineering, and rock climbing. Today, she is sharing with us behind the scenes of a NASA rocket launch and what that actually looks like. And some of the things were a little bit surprising and revealing in a great way. And also she's sharing with us what it really takes to survive a mountain explosion. And thirdly, how you can create a big life change with small steps. Now for the mountain explosion, of course, here in our life, we want to prepare for the unexpected and expect the unexpected, right? I know that a lot of you guys who come to Good Grow Great, you guys know exactly what it feels like to have your life turned upside down, your work, your business, when somebody say, hey, you know what? You're being laid off. Or you know what? Actually, what your idea here is not going to work or whatever. So how can you weather through all of these things? We're going to dive in deep in this Great Lengths episode. And so Let's not forget to subscribe and hit follow. Grow Solvers, let's get growing. Aliyah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Amazing. I'm so excited to have you on. Because not only are we neighbors, but you have some really cool background, I think. Uh, (laughs) We're here to talk about outdoors and all of that good stuff, business, everything. But I actually want to start with NASA. Because it's not every day that we're graced by someone who's worked in the (laughs) NASA. So just talk a little bit about what that experience was like. What is it that you did there? And what was that like for you? Oh, it was life-changing, Talia. It was so cool. Um, I am a science teacher by training, and when I got the opportunity to interview you for a position with the Solar Dynamics Observatory, it was like, who's going to say no to that? Like, what science nerd is going to say, no, I don't want to work at NASA? Yeah. So obviously, I went and interviewed. Um, I was going to uh, be taking the position of formal education lead for the education and public outreach team. And when I arrived, I, I arrived in this car that had been stolen at one point. And the, uh, the, the ignition, the key, had that area had been broken into with a brick. And so the way I started my car was actually with a screwdriver and I I kept the screwdriver in the center console 
And when I went in, had the interview, they said, okay, next we're going to show you where the spacecraft is being built. So let's all get in your car and drive to this bigger facility. It was you know, about two minutes away. I just, I turned bright red. I was like, okay, this is just happening. Got in the car and I was like, yep, this is how I start it. <laughs> and at that point, the project scientist looked over at me and went, this is NASA you're going to fit in just fine. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that welcome. It's kind of like everyone's just welcoming you at that point. Yeah, I found my place and my people. And it turns out that that's really how NASA does a lot of its work is with a (laughs) screwdriver and duct tape. (laughs) That's not, I feel like that's not necessarily comforting to hear. That that one of the (laughs) organizations. It was especially, uh, it was especially impactful for me actually in that moment, uh, realizing that it didn't take somebody who is a genius or just incredibly unique and gifted, that it was all about problem solving and using the tools that were available. And so when I eventually went on to create uh, the first in-person field trip program there at Goddard, I would bring in kids from Baltimore, from DC, and walk them around and tell them that story and talk about how scientists were using ping pong balls and, you know, uh, (laughs) (laughs) these really creative tools to solve these problems, making it seem really available and possible for these kids who could never see themselves doing anything so high end. Yeah, I love this. I love this story because I feel like a lot of times we assume that anything that has high value production or looks good on the outside externally (laughs) has this like massive team and and everything system right when in fact i mean you're it's so funny that you mentioned that that it it's screwdrivers ping pong balls and it's all of these kind of i guess impromptu tools in Mm -hmm. some ways and and scientists as smart as they are it is they're just like anybody else as any human beings are Yeah, exactly. This is amazing. Nobody really knows what they're doing. Nobody Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a great reminder because I feel like everybody here, there's always this pressure, right? Internal pressure really to to succeed and do all of these things. But when in fact, everyone's fighting their own battles, everyone's just kind of living day by day. So I just love this reminder from your NASA experience and, uh, and how that, kind of that was how, how you started it all and um, so what was kind of your takeaway memory I guess from that experience aside from how you started was there anybody that you met that was I, I, that kind of struck a chord with you that who said something that kind of took you through your throughout your career and into kind of what you do right now is there anything any kind of memories like that my favorite memory I think and I, I have so many, it's really hard to choose. I, I do need to mention how I need to take a step back here. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to get in trouble by mentioning this or not. Um, my favorite memory was actually the launch of my spacecraft. I say it's mine. The Solar Dynamics Observatory uh, was created and put into space by thousands of people working together. And yet we all took this deep, deep ownership in the process and that launch. And when we went to Kennedy Space Center uh, to see it launch on an Atlas rocket, we invited 
probably 10 in person and then another 50 people uh, back at Goddard Space Flight Center. So 10 people at Kennedy Space Center who were what's called uh, space tweeps. <laughs> so this is like the, <laughs> the heyday of Twitter, yeah. 2009, 2010. Uh, we found just this crazy loyal fan base online. And so we decided <laughs> to invite them. Um, the NASA tweet ups became uh, a regular thing that uh, I believe are still happening to this day in one form or another. And I was being interviewed for an educational program right before the launch. We actually missed our bus going into the center. I had a badge that would let me in. My project deputy project scientist had his badge. The third person who was with us didn't. So she may or may not have gotten on base in the trunk of our car. <laughs> we, we ended up making it just fine and she got on the bus to to go out and everything was okay <laughs> um but for me you know knowing how that journey started with an, an interview with a screwdriver and fitting in and and being surrounded by these people who were just so adventurous in spirit and so committed to being on the forefront of exploration in this way that, you know, reminds you of Captain Kirk. It reminds mm -hmm. you of, um, of the Apollo missions, uh, being a part of that community and culture really filled my soul for, and prepare me for my outdoor adventures, which came next. Yeah, this is amazing. And I love how there seems to be, this is a theme now, I think, the, uh, the, the adventurous kind of scientist. Uh, and I'm not going to say mad scientist because you're clearly not mad. But um, but what was, walk us through just if, if you can for a couple of minutes, how that experience was like when you saw the launch of, you know, you guys' spacecraft. I know thousands of people were there. I think only recently I just saw that, uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX launch, right? I think uh, it mm -hmm. was Bob and what was uh, what was the other guy's name? I think it was Bob. It was two gentlemen. And I remember watching it with my two kids and they were just, their eyes were, I mean, they were like, their jaws were on the floor. I think yes. it was just one of those moments. Walk us through the launch of your spacecraft real quick. Well, having an unmanned mission is it's an interesting experience compared to a manned one. Of course, there's more pressure, more tension when there is a human being on board. Yeah. But at the same time, we're watching our baby go up into the air. <laughs> there are uh, several different instruments, and each instrument was designed by um, a different institution. Um, we had Stanford and several other places contributing. Um, and then when, <laughs> when we were actually there all together, not only surrounded by the, uh, f our fellow scientists and um, engineers and, and outreach, human services, like everyone was there. Um, our families were there and we had a fan base that we invited to join us. And so it really had this uh, atmosphere of celebration and a party. Yeah. And to make it even more unique and beautiful, when the rocket launched, it actually went through this layer of crystallized ice in the lower atmosphere. And it left a, like there is a, it's called a sundog, which is a circular rainbow. Okay. It, 
it went up past the sundog and the shockwave from the launch disintegrated the sundog and moved it to another location. So for a moment, you could actually see the sonic boom ripple through the air. Since then, someone's actually written their master's thesis on that phenomenon. And you can Google SDO sundog and see that video for yourself. Oh my goodness. I'm so going to do this later today. (laughs) This is, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Well, I think even just any kind of momentary phenomenon, right? Small or large. I remember my kids were, this is not a sundog, obviously, but they saw, I think, a double rainbow the other day. And they were just, again, Mm. their eyes were just lit up. And I can imagine that that's uh, probably with you guys, that's even on a bigger scale. Well, you can hear the crowd cheering for launch, and then you hear, oh, like this, <laughs> this secondary, like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, did somebody catch that? Did somebody catch that? <laughs> oh, and I goodness. do, I love that theme of of the the passionate nature of science and that curiosity for what goes on in the natural world and the love and appreciation that that build that builds in us it has really built in me for for being in the outdoors and using that in my in my current work Mm, yeah absolutely so is that where it originated from with i mean your work at nasa and your work obviously using uh outdoor adventure right now and therapy is that does that originate from your childhood? So um, I didn't really go camping that much as a kid. I played in the woods. I had forts. I had uh, paths and gardens. And I grew up in, in the woods in Pennsylvania. Um, but other than that, uh, my parents actually had some really traumatic camping experiences when they were younger and decided to give up. Uh, one in particular was the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Uh, They were camping just across the Washington border when the mountain blew, and they thought the world was ending. (laughs) I'm sure. I think for them, that was the last straw. (laughs) (laughs) What did they do? Did they just kind of go into the car and they rode off, or what did they do? Well, they were in a tent. Um, They had to go into a neighbor's RV to actually figure out what was going on. Um, Of course, back then there were no cell phones, so they were listening to the radio and trying to get updates. Um, All the major roads were closed, and so it was a process of my dad tying a bandana um, around the radiator in the front of the car, driving down old logging roads in Idaho, stopping every 10 minutes to shake the ash off the front of the, uh, of the bandana so that they could actually make it home. Wow. This is kind of like those apocalyptic movies that you see. Yeah, where... it was. They really did think the world was ending. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, they should have. It went dark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was this before the age of cell phones and everything? It was. Okay. Yeah, so... it was. Nothing was recorded, I guess. That's, I mean, that's oh, the- oh, we have a picture. <laughs> we have a photo of them <laughs> sitting in the tent with, they kind of look like a post COVID yes. couple with masks across their face, but this time there's, it's dark and there's ash raining down in front of them. <laughs> wow. It must have been a, yeah. I mean, that will do it, I think. That will do yeah. it. <laughs> I think so I wasn't will. really destined to be an outdoorsy person, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So this is interesting then. So what brought you? And let's segue for a minute here into uh, your work with Outdoor Adventure. What brought you to kind of incorporate that into your work now in therapy? 
So I took a rock climbing class when I was in college. Uh, it taught us how to build anchors, uh, basically how not to die. Um, no real technique or you know strength building. It was just the very basics of outdoor climbing. I didn't have the opportunity to do that again until I moved to Maryland to work at Goddard. I started climbing indoors at Earth Treks Climbing Gym, which is super cool because now we have an Earth Treks in Bolden. Uh, so I've been very connected to that community for a while. Um, so while I was surrounded by all of these adventurous, curious people at work, I found my, my tribe, my community in the outdoor industry um, with all of my climbers, with people who are designing you know, clothing and running guiding companies. I felt alive. I felt powerful. I felt uh, connected to the earth and the environment in a way that I felt like I had been missing before. Mm. After going through some really difficult personal stuff, I decided to figure out what was next for me in my life. Um, I actually, I didn't really like therapists that much, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I hired a life coach, <laughs> and we talked about my passions and things that I was interested in and how I wanted to make a difference in the world, and I noticed that in learning how to rock climb, I, I became so self-sufficient. I became more confident. I was dangling off of high places where people maybe shouldn't be. Um, I knew that I could take care of myself uh, in difficult or dangerous situations. Um, and that launched me into the question of like, well, maybe I can use that to help other people who've gone through similar difficulties. And that's when I invented adventure therapy. Uh, thankfully, after some Googling, I discovered that I did not invent it, but <laughs> it actually has been around for a long time to the point of having several universities that offered master's degree programs. Yeah, this is, I love this story because it came from it seems like a personal perspective of just wanting to, uh, you know, personally, you want to kind of make your uh, life, uh, put it in order in a, or in a way that you feel good about, right? And um, and what were some of those, you mentioned that you had gone through some diff personal difficulties. What are some of those difficulties that you, you can share with the audience? The biggest thing that I ended up overcoming um, was an abusive marriage. And in an abusive situation, quite frequently, women feel like they don't have the option or opportunity to leave. And so making the choice to leave a marriage, it, it didn't mean just leaving the marriage. It meant going against my family. It meant going against uh, the the standard in the community that I grew up in. It meant truly setting off on my own and recreating my identity and climbing was the net that caught me as I was just free falling through the air. Right. I think this is, I, I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I think that uh, it's almost interesting because I, as I talk to so many people on the podcast um, and within my good girl, great community, it's so interesting because some of the greatest and most beautiful life-changing uh, moves that they ever made, it always comes at, uh, it's not really a cost or a price per se, but it's kind of that you, you mentioned decisiveness or almost choice, I think is what you said. And it's just kind of like a choice that, yes, there is that part of it, but I want to uh, get this other thing that 
um, that's been kind of waiting for me on the other end, which is so beautiful, I think. Um, so, uh, so, okay, let's now share uh, with the audience a little bit more about your awesome way, the awesome ways that you help other people in the outdoors. Because I, as you know, I'm a huge outdoor geek and <laughs> I love everything outdoors. And so what are some things, you mentioned rock climbing, right? What are some things that you use for, uh, for your work in, in therapy as far as outdoor adventure is concerned? So I want to first start by letting uh, letting your audience know the breadth and the scope of the adventure therapy community in the United States and internationally. Um, I had the pleasure of speaking at the international conference in Australia in 2018 about my rock climbing program. Um, in the United States, we have everything from residential wilderness therapy for kids um, and young adults to people like myself in private practice who offer nature-based or outdoor work um, in addition to some of the more traditional indoor stuff. So for me, I, I love, um, my business tagline is therapy with a view. Um, I, I find that my clients are um, able to start on a higher note because of the calming and grounding nature of just being outdoors. Uh, but adventure therapy in particular is is kind of defined as the intentional use of activity and experience in being able to learn and grow. And so you get uh, the opportunity to like really use anything, paddling, yoga, um, high ropes courses, mountaineering adventures. Um, I would even go so far as to say that animal-assisted therapy, because it's so experiential, falls underneath this category. Um, I've even started dabbling in, not dabbling, that makes me sound unprofessional. <laughs> I have been trained in <laughs> and practice <laughs> psychedelic-assisted therapy, because that is at its core experiential. So in grad school, having that focus on using rock climbing to help women um, who have been survivors of domestic violence or you know, just dealing with PTSD, no matter what the source, um, I decided to, to use that as my focus for my thesis. And I created a program uh, for a group, um, which I've been running every summer, except for this summer, <laughs> for just everything's yeah. different <laughs> for yeah. the last uh, five years. So we've got five cohorts so far of women who have gone through this climbing program, who have been able to learn um, about relationship. That is, I think, the most beautiful thing that I've been able to take out of rock climbing is that element of relationship. So it's not just the relationship that you have with your Blair or with your climbing partner. You have a relationship between you and the rock. Every hold, it's useful or it's not useful depending on your relationship to it. If you are over the top of a, an undercling, it's going to be really effective. It's, if it's above your head, it's going to be hard. If you are properly situated over a crimp, it's going to be the most secure thing that you've ever felt. But if you're just off a few inches, you're going to feel like you're going to die. Yeah. So renegotiating relationship with, um, with others, with the environment, but then also with body. Being, in, being a survivor of trauma means you have a deep distrust of your own intuition and your own body. Um, 
breaking through that is really key to, to healing. And so rock climbing allows you to learn how to trust your body and your intuition again. And so my program is really centered around teaching skill, uh, teaching consent, and giving women a voice. This is amazing. And I love your, actually, your analogy of the relationship with not just the belayer, the person who's, uh, who's holding the ropes for you, but and not even just with yourself, but with the rock, right? And it kind of reminded me when you mentioned how the, the rock obviously changes with every step that you make. And, um, you know, depending on the one degree cha- you know, step that you take. And I'm kind of, it's kind of brought me to thinking about this terminology, right? That we kind of throw around out there between a, a rock and a hard place. <laughs> and it's almost like you kind of gave the rock... Uh, not so much life per se, but there is something about it that that is within your control, right? And I, I love that that idea that, yes, you might be stuck in a hard place, and this is true for business owners, this is true for anyone who's a professional in a career feeling stuck. Uh, who is alive today. Or who is, <laughs> who, is, yeah. Yeah, who is just alive today, um, f- f- going through some difficulty, whatever, right? And, um, and just being able to reframe your relationship with everything around you and kind it, of it is it's yeah. it's all a matter of perspective and you know that that can sound very glib <laughs> taken out of context but what anxiety does uh, to our brains is it actually shrinks our ability to think clearly and to see all of the op- options that are around us um, I've been in involved in a group called Golden Women in Business for quite a few years. I'm a secretary on the board. And it's such a wonderful community of business owners in Golden who all identify as female. And we get together to support each other. Um, And it's been so useful during this hard time having others to speak to and kind of like normalize the stress that we're experiencing. And in that normalization, we, we start to feel heard, understood. We feel connected like we're not alone. And that relaxes the stress response in our body and brain enough to open up our perspective so that we can actually see the, the wide variety of choices that are in front of us. We're not just limited the way that we feel we are when we have that really narrow tunnel vision of stress anymore. Yeah, and I'm kind of interested, actually, when you brought up anxiety, right, and you brought up experiential and movement, right, and activities, and I'm a lifelong student, I love learning all things, and you clearly are an academic as well, what is it about experience, activity, movement, like, what is it about that that helps, and you kind of touched on it just a little bit, that helps the learning process. And I wonder if this is kind of like that missing piece in most education nowadays, but uh, also in post-ed, right? Like a lot of adults now, third in 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, um, going back to learning certain things, reading books, and is could that be the missing piece, right, that takes us from point A to point Z? We do learn through experience. When I was training to be a science teacher, uh, there was this lovely acronym, uh, ABC, Activity Before Concept. And so I would frequently start out a period 
with things on desks, students would walk in and be like, what's going on? (laughs) And they would just make observations, follow instructions, and then without fail, by the end of the class period, they would have come up with the concept that I was trying to teach all by themselves. I don't have to contrive to get someone to understand that asking for help is a good idea. We just go hiking. (laughs) And at some point, they're going to need help. And they're going to figure out that if they ask me for help, it's easier than if they try and do it by themselves. And then we can generalize the learning and and connect it to other places where, yeah, asking for help might have been the most useful thing to do. Um, So in the future, what are you going to do? I'm going to ask for help. Um, So experiencing what it it's like to use a skill or to, to be different or to um, show up in a different way is what experiential therapy is all about. Yeah, and I think it's so funny how nowadays we tend to forget that, right? Like we kind of want the fastest things, like all just all the rules, all the tips. And I think we forget, and this is, I think, part of the reason is why a lot of business owners, a lot of entrepreneurs fail so early on is because they're not, uh, they're not letting the activity and the time that it takes to, uh, mm-hmm. to go through that activity to be the teacher, which is going to be a much better teacher than, oh, I'm just going to get this right away and I'm just going to follow uh, someone else's blueprint or whatever it is. Well, I really believe that's the product of Western culture. Uh, We want to get things done quickly and efficiently, which has its usefulness, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's also really not useful when you bring it into the context of, of, of truly learning through experience. You can't bypass or skip the step of, of taking the time to, to learn and become a master. The other part of becoming a master then is failing and failing frequently. Uh, we are really adverse to failure in this country. Uh, we, want a gar- we want guarantees that things are going to work. We want a timeline that they're going to work in. Uh, frequently, I'll get new clients that go, well, how long is this going to take? And I'm like, well, longer because you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you said that, it's going to be longer. <laughs> Likely, yeah. <laughs> and so we, we're so afraid of making mistakes. We're so afraid of showing our vulnerabilities and our flaws that um, this perfectionistic culture really cuts off, um, cuts off, cuts us off at our heads. Uh, we can, we can think, we can uh, be logical, we can problem solve, um, but w- allowing it to sink down to our heart. That's the experiential piece. That's the, like, I've lived through this. I embody this knowledge rather than just hold it in my head with no sense of understanding. And you can really tell when you've met somebody who's done their work, like, there's that, you know, the, the newbie fresh out of, you know, whatever training college, you know, launching into something. They talk like they know, but there's a lack of depth or, or weight behind their eyes when they speak. And then you have, you know, the, the experienced mentor who has, who has been there and seen it all and can speak so compassionately in a really connected way about what they do. And that's because they have failed, They have failed many, many times. And so they have the wisdom to offer. They have that perspective and, and they've let that experience and that learning sink down into their body and their heart. 
And I love that you brought in the idea of that experienced mentor, because I do notice that, you know, even outside of the outdoor adventure business, uh, in any I want to say in any domain, I noticed that the ones that are more experienced have gone through a number of years of training of their craft and trade, whatever it is, there is almost like this intangible, I wouldn't say patience almost, but it's almost like time was not an issue for them, right? Do you, know, do you notice this as well? Is that they kind of like just sit on it. I mean, they do their work. They're not, not working or anything, but it's not, they're not rushed by time. And versus the ones who are just starting out, you know, I think time for whatever reason has, has held like this magical, not magical, I would, I would just say more kind of like a, a curse and like this grip on, on them. And it's like the driving force. Yeah. Well, we are mortal beings, right? Yeah. We, we get to contemplate the end of our existence every day yeah. And so this this overvaluing of youth and beauty and the young um, and this sense now that, you know, we're all experiencing time moving at a faster rate, um, having more experience under under your belt or more water under the bridge, it, it shows you the truth of things. And and that itself, it's it's so, so valuable. Yeah, and I love that you're mentioning time moving at a faster rate as well, because I think the reality is we just, there are just more things that, and more noise, I I should probably say, that occupy our minds. And that's probably why the time in perspective looks like it's moving faster. Not really. It's just there are all these other noise, right? So you talked about failure early, earlier on in your work with uh, all these uh, beautiful women. And uh, what is it about, how do you kind of touch on that topic when you're out there in the outdoors? Let's just use the rock climbing example. And let's say that someone is is rock climbing and then they just felt like they can't go on anymore. What do you, how do you help them and support them in getting around that, I would say roadblock, but more rock block, if anything? <laughs> I like the way you said that. That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, well, you know, failure in terms of climbing, you know, the, the ultimate one is making a mistake that leads to injury. And so, you know, I, I just want to put out there that I, I don't put my climbers in that position. Um, I'm trained as a AMGA single pitch instructor. Um, I, I maintain that certification. I ask for help myself when I need it. Um, and so when we get to the crag and, you know, let's say the climb is too difficult or it's a high gravity day, which is a really popular thing to say, <laughs> um, gravity is just working against me today. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one thing that, uh, another issue that individuals who have experienced trauma, um, go through is a lack of connection to their body's impulse to say no. Mm. So it's important when you're taking out, especially a group of women, uh, backpacking, say they've been, um, 
uh, in treatment for PTSD and trauma, you know their history, uh, it's important to help them uh, learn to recognize when their body is telling them to stop because for so long for them, it's been dangerous to be connected to their bodies because that's where the trauma happens. And so the less that you're connected to your body, the less trauma you have to feel. But also it means that you're going to get blisters and they'll get infected or you're going to walk on a, an injury that you shouldn't be walking on or your backpack's going to be rubbing and and it they're less likely to notice and so the first the first stage um in learning how to say no and learning how to be okay stopping or with failure is reconnecting to body and so we do a lot of work on the ground around sensing center of mass, center of gravity, around balance, um, but then around uh, how we are going to support each other in the group environment when someone says, I've had enough. And that we make a point of celebrating. <laughs> like, are you making good life choices for you? Yeah. Because I know that for some of these women, saying no is the hard, hard. thing. Yeah. It is the absolute hardest thing. And so when someone says, you know, I think I'm done, they get a round of applause as they're lowered to the ground with no questions. We never, ever pushed, oh, just take one more step for me is a really classic guide phrase. I will never say that because number one, it's not for me. I'm not climbing. Like This is yeah. about them. <laughs> uh, number two, their consent has been abused in the past. And if they say no, that is them exercising their voice and their power. And I'm going to immediately recognize that and celebrate that with them. And so then, of course, when you're down on the ground, you can kind of contend with like the, oh, man, I knew I could have done better. <laughs> but you get to process that in community and with support where failure, it becomes a learning opportunity as it should be. Yeah, I, I this is a great example because... Uh, a, you're mentioning that there is uh, there is value in learning how to say no, particularly if you've been so programmed to not say no, right? And mm -hmm. in in your clients' cases, they had gone through trauma. But I think that's probably this is probably true for a lot of A types out there who <laughs> yeah. are listening. Who there are some <laughs> there are definitely some audiences here who are nodding their heads, and you know, and not sleeping, right? Not not stopping, mm. not taking breaks. And I personally, I, I was guilty of this as well. And it wasn't, I want to say until maybe a couple of years ago that I, I think my body has had enough and I wasn't listening to it. And, uh, and suddenly without any warning at all, I started sleeping for like eight hours straight. I used to be running on like three, five hours, not a problem. And this was wow. years, years for like, I want to say maybe even like 10 years I was doing that. Um, and having kids didn't help either. So, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is so true and so relevant for everyone, uh, especially business owners who are always like just running. And I think I always talk about the hustle bravado. And I also always talk about really the real bravery is just sticking to a few important things, knowing what's important for you and doing it anyway, even if you know that it's unpopular uh, and even if you know that you have to say no to certain things. I love it. These are all great. And Aliyah, believe it or not, we are coming to a close here at the end of our interview. So tell the audience where they can find you and where they can reach out to you. 
Well, my website and business is Wild and Wonderful Life Counseling. Amazing. Aaliyah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Let's not forget to subscribe and hit follow. Bro Solvers, let's get growing.